Um, we are continuing our series in Luke and uh, find ourselves here at this uh, Jesus telling uh, his followers and others what, what's going to come, to, to give them some expectation about what is to come. And, uh, and I think that we can find great hope from it, even as some of them are, are difficult. Uh, and and, and it, it, it's a challenge and I think helpful for us to think about how we respond when we experience things that are either unexpected or difficult. Um, when we lived in Denver uh, for three years, one of the benefits for us of living there is that we were about 25 minutes from my aunt and uncles, my dad's brother, and they uh, lived there, had lived there for, they lived in Colorado for as long as I can remember, and they were incredibly welcoming to my kids and to us, and their home was this place of great welcome uh, and joy. They, they always made it fun experience for us. They cooked amazing food. Their, their house was comfortable. They had this, uh, this uh, wood-burning stove uh, that was really cozy. And uh, Steph described it as they, they curated their home uh, in a way that was warm and welcoming. Not curated in the sense of a, a museum, but they, uh, they, thought, they were very thoughtful about their, their home and the way that people experienced it. So um, it, I was alarmed last Saturday when I saw that there were uh, wildfires in Colorado and the two towns that they were evacuating from, one was Louisville and the other Superior, they lived in Louisville. And so I texted them and, uh, and heard that they had uh, evacuated safely, uh, but they heard that their house was on fire, which I, I realized meant in that kind of situation that it would probably be ter- totally uh, destroyed. And that's uh, unfortunately exactly what happened. Uh, so out of nowhere, just totally unexpected. I mean, they lived in a neighborhood I hear forest fires and I think of like paradise in California from a, a few years ago that uh, was kind of out in the woods and in the middle of nowhere. And uh, this was a neighborhood that had a, has some more hills than we do here. It's, it's not in the mountains, it's at the foothills. So it's not like Indiana, but other than the, the hills around there, it could have been a neighborhood, a subdivision in Greenwood or Carmel or any of the suburbs of, of um, of Indianapolis. So it was jarring and, uh, and unexpected uh, to hear that their whole house had been lost. Uh, and incredibly, I mean, something to, to I mean, we have mourned with them. Uh, it's incredibly sad, uh, particularly because of all the memories and the ways in which over the last almost quarter of a century, they used that place to really care for other people well. And they had lots of things of, of sentimental value and pictures and all kinds of things that were lost, right? Um, and, and, the, and there becomes this question of how we deal with unexpected events, particularly when they are hard ones, when they are difficult ones, when we face things that, uh, that seem unimaginable. I mean, it's, uh, this is the first time that I've known somebody that has lost uh, a home to something like this, like completely lost, right? Um, and, uh, and, and yet we all experience uh, difficulty and, and hard things in our lives. And sometimes for some of us, things way worse than losing all your earthly possessions, right? Uh, and some of us haven't experienced anything even close to that. And, and yet we will face things in our lives that will call us to uh, draw into question just the reality that we experience. And if we're followers of Jesus, uh, or if it's even interesting to us, then we, we will ask questions of God and what our expectations should be as ones who follow him. 
And so as we come to this passage, what we have is we have uh, Jesus talking about what's going to happen, what's going to come. He's, he's being prophetic here. And, uh, and he tells us in this particular section three things that are going to happen. So that we, we start with uh, the talk about giving and the, the widow giving of her money. But then there is the talk of the destruction of the temple, the, the persecution and wars that are to come, and then the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and what we find here is that there are promises here. We, all, we often talk about the promises of God. There are promises here that we wish were not here. There are promises that life is going to be difficult. And yet, at the same time, uh, within this passage are promises of life and goodness. Promises of hope. And so that's, that's the two points. That as we think about uh, our lives and what we should expect which then affects how we respond to what we experience, that there are promises from God, two promises. One is that things are going to be hard. There's a promise of of hard things, even destruction and death. And then there's promises of life. Those are the two points here that we can think about as we go through our lives, that what should we expect? And the Bible is pretty clear that we should expect both really difficult things, and beautiful things. So let me pray, and we'll dive in. Lord, we do pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that we might expect what you promise, and that we might live our lives in in light of what you promise, that it would affect the way that we experience both good and beautiful and hard things in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see is promises of hard or difficult times. We, we, we talk a lot about unprecedented times of COVID, and it just kind of continues to surprise us with different things. It was not what we expected, right? And, uh, and we've, we, many of us have grown up in a world, uh, and we've grown up, many of us in America, where we have this expectation of the American dream, uh, that things should just get better and better, actually. Uh, that they should be better for me than where they were for my parents, and they should be better for my children than they were for me, and, uh, and that it's happiness that we're promised and all those things. And, and, and we oftentimes connect that to our Christianity. We conflate those two things, thinking that if we're followers of Jesus, that the promise is that things are going to be comfortable and easy. And I, I think it's helpful because here, here's what happens, is that doesn't always end up being the case, but what we need to know is that's not the promise from the word of God, that there is this promise, even from Jesus here, pretty explicitly, that there are going to be some difficult things to come. And we, we see that when you look first at uh, the, the difficult things that will come from uh, the outside, from outside of us, or often Jesus is talking to his followers. So from outside the church, there are going to be difficult things, and there are also going to be difficult things from within, either within the church or even within ourselves. But from the outside, we see some really difficult things coming. Verses 9 and 10 talk about wars and tumults and earthquakes and famines, that there are going to be hard things that are going to happen, things that are, uh, are, are really quite terrible. I mean, we see that he's promising. They're, they're, they're marveling at the temple, and, and we, we lose the significance of the temple for them. The the temple was the place where they experienced God, where they experienced connection with him, where they experienced the promise of forgiveness because sacrifices were offered there. And the temple was this magnificent 
structure. I mean, this one, actually, uh, this is the, the, the temple that was rebuilt, and it wasn't even as magnificent as the one that Solomon had built and had been destroyed, but it was still, it was almost, it was just short of a mile wide, and it included stones that were almost 12 by 12 feet by 45 feet. I mean, massive stones, and, it, and there were all this ornamentation on it. They were in verse 5, we see that they were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, the offerings that had been given to make it this beautiful place. And it wasn't just a beautiful place. We lament and mourn the loss of a beautiful place, like my aunt and uncle's home. Or, or the experience that you might have had is if you heard that when Notre Dame caught fire, fortunately wasn't totally destroyed a few years ago. It's sad, right? It's this, uh, it's this iconic place. And, and yet it was so much more for them, the temple. It was, it was not just that they didn't think this big, beautiful building would be destroyed, but this, this was part of the way that they thought the promise of God would come to them through the temple. And so Jesus saying that the temple is going to be destroyed was a really difficult thing to hear. Life is going to be hard. And then he goes on to say not just that, but that's part of this bigger thing of, of the wars and tumults and earthquakes and famines and then he goes on it's it, it's not just the temple even so he, he he has in between this promise of persecution and wars but then he goes and talks about the destruction of jerusalem which was also the way that they thought the promise of god was going to come to them. this was the promised land this is where they would experience all they hoped for they thought actually that the messiah the christ jesus was going to come as this military king and and, and set up jerusalem as uh, the capital of God's promised land, right? He was going to be this warrior king, and he's telling them something completely different and not something that they wanted to hear, that Jerusalem itself is going to be destroyed. I think it is helpful to note that what, one of the things we see Jesus doing is he, is he is weaving both this promise of what comes in the next generation, that actually the temple is destroyed around 70 AD by King Titus and he destroys, Nero's already persecuting Christians, and then Titus comes and destroys uh, the temple, and Jerusalem is sacked. Horrible things that we, we would not mention in church happen uh, in Jerusalem. And he gives them this warning to flee. Uh, you, you see, uh, let those in who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and those inside the city depart. That He, he wants them to uh, avoid this, this horrible thing that's going to, to happen. But it is going to happen and they're going to have to deal with this reality of being exiled, of, being, uh, of, of not experiencing the promises in the way that they thought they were going to. Difficult things are going to happen is what he's saying. Um, and, and the question then comes for us, how do we think about difficult things that happen to us? How do we imagine how they thought? Again, they thought it, within their expectations, the framework that they had for the way that God was going to work, that this thing that was, he was promising, that Jesus said was going to happen, was contrary to God's promises. The same thing happens for us. When something difficult happens, we think this isn't what God promised me. He promised me the abundant life. He promised me joy and family. And yes, he did promise those things. But we think that they happen in a particular way. And we're reminded here that they don't always happen in just the way that we think they will. That there's actually going to be struggle and there's more. There's, there's persecution that comes from outside. Verses 12 and following, that there is this 
really difficult promise. But before this, before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This happens before Nero. But he's also tying it to, next week we're going to talk about the coming of the Son of Man. That's the, the next passage. He's, he's tying what's about to happen here, the promises there, and he is overlaying it with the promises of the end times. That is when Jesus returns, when the sun comes back. And, uh, and we're going to talk more in just a moment and then next week about what that means. But um, he is telling them that persecution is going to happen. And, and, and the reality is talking about persecution now, uh, we have a couple of different temptations to say either uh, persecution isn't really happening at all or to over-focus on it. Let me explain what I mean. We live in an incredibly unique time and place in the history of the world. Right now, in the West, in our modern time, that persecution in, in significant ways is not something that we really experience. And we can define, even the way we define persecution matters because we, we could talk about the fact that, um, that First Peter talks about people being revived. We, we, when I preached on this a few years ago, we, we saw that there's this promise of people are going to think you're crazy. They're going to talk bad about you. We, we, we might experience a, a good bit of that uh, now, but we, we don't experience the persecution on the level that Christians do around the world even now and then have throughout history. So we come in this unique time uh, that makes it sometimes hard for us, unique time and place that makes it hard for us to understand the persecution that has and is happening now. And we can give lots of examples about that. We've talked about and prayed a good bit for Pastor Wang Yi at Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China, who is still in prison a few years later after he was arrested and his church continues to be harassed and arrested and released. And and he's separated from his wife and his child uh, and she's in prison because they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's real persecution. In Nigeria last year, thousands were, uh, were killed. Thousands of Christians were killed uh, because they were Christians. Uh, this is not something that we hear a lot about, but it is real and true and happening around the world that there is real kind, deep persecution, people even dying. This fulfillment of um, verse 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. That continues to happen now. And these are promises from God, Right? Uh, another note is um, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe uh, that studies uh, hate crimes um, reports that in 2020 there were almost a thousand hate crimes against Christians in Europe. Uh, not all of those violent, actually most of those not violent, but some of them certainly so, but lots of vandalism and property attack, churches attacked. Uh, and that was a 50% increase from the year before. That, it does happen now. These things are real. What what does that mean for us in this unique place and time? Again, the temptations I've talked about. One is uh, to to lean too hard in this direction and say that with some of the things going on now, we're we're the victims. Um, And to complain about that uh, in the light of the things that are happening in our culture. And and there might be, again, some reviling, some, uh, some... you know, mistreatment or people thinking we're crazy or weird, but we're not experiencing persecution on this kind of level. And, and we want to be careful not to uh, just regularly paint ourselves as the victim so that then sometimes the response we see 
uh, within churches or in politics is to you know, protect our position of power. And that's not what we're talking about here. That's not the, the, the solution here. Now, I, I do think it's helpful to recognize that things have changed pretty dramatically over the last few years. Uh, Aaron Wren, who actually uh, lives over in Fletcher Place, uh, but was in New York when I read him talking about the way that culture has shifted over essentially our lifetime. And, uh, and the shift is that when I was growing up, culturally, it was a cultural positive to be a Christian. It's a cultural positive to be a Christian. Uh, it it kind of moved in the 90s into early 2000s into being culturally neutral to be a Christian. Uh, people just kind of didn't really care that much uh, one way or the other. But in the last few years, and really not that many, our culture is changing very quickly, uh, I, I think you could argue that uh, it's become a cultural negative to be a follower of Jesus. Um, we're hateful and bigoted and we're dogmatic in all the wrong ways. And uh, you, you, there's a list. Um, people have been hurt by the church, very legitimately so. Uh, and so but, but it puts us in a position of often being in a cultural negative. Now, again, I'm not saying that our, our, the answer is to fight for power, to make sure that we don't lose that. That's, that's, not, that's not the biblical cross-centered answer, but it is a real reality of the world in which we're experiencing, and it fits with some of the promises of God, that things are going to be difficult, that we're going to experience hard things. And who knows where that's going to go and what it will look like. Things just are, are happening in ways that we don't even know what to expect next year, much less the next decade, right? Uh, but the call is to continually look to God and his promises and his expectations. Again, some of the promises hard and some beautiful. There's also going to be, uh, he says, uh, difficulty and hard things from within, from within the church, first of all, so that we see that uh, at the end times in verse eight, there is this recognition that is the, the, the end is going to come. There are going to be those that lie, that, that claim to be saviors, that claim to have the answers. See that you are not led astray, he says, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Do not go after them. There's going to be those in the church that, that want to lead folks astray. And that's both theologically with, uh, with lies and untruths. Uh, but we can also say that we've seen leaders in the church lead people astray by spiritual and other abuse. And that there are many who have been hurt by the church. That there is mess in the church because the church is full of sinners. We have the confession of sin because we recognize that every one of us has a brokenness within us. And sometimes that's played out in, the, in, in situations where the church has, has hurt other folks. And the, and the question becomes, what's our response in the midst of that situation? You, you've heard me talk about and use the term deconstruction. And you, you could define that in a few different ways. There's deconstruction and there's, uh, I'm going to differentiate between deconstruction and deconversion. So somebody's been hurt, somebody has uh, experienced legitimate pain uh, in the church, what is, uh, what is the correct path at that point? I actually would suggest that deconstruction, as uh, defined originally by the philosopher uh, Jacques Derrida, is the thing that we should pursue. And what that really is, is reforming, is, uh, is evaluating our experiences not, uh, in light of the word of God, it, evaluating our culture in light of the word of God. Um, we do have that base as followers of Jesus that the, 
the word that God has given us is that thing that reveals truth. And sometimes it's going to challenge the way that we've done things, even within the church. And so that calls us to regularly reform. We, we are a reformed church. You don't have to know what that means theologically. But one of the things that it means is that we should always be reforming, always be made more like Jesus, both as individuals, as families, as a church. So that's something that we should actually be pursuing. And that is going to God with the, the questions and the problems that we have instead of turning and rejecting him. Turning away from God is deconversion, is, reject, is, is what we, you know, we would say throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And if you ever give a baby a bath, just throw out the bathwater, right? You, you, you want to keep what's good. In the, it's not the right answer just to reject all authority or to reject God. The, the answer is with the people of God to go to God's word and to him and to bring our questions uh, to him. That's what, um, that's what the Psalms are all about. We've done a number of series to the Psalms and that's what they do. My aunt and uncle's uh, pastor sent them this, a quote from scripture from Psalm 46 followed by a prayer. So they've experienced this really difficult thing and their whole community is experiencing it together. And, uh, and the pastor quotes Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. There's a recognition from the psalmist here that the earth is going to give way, that the mountains are going to fall into the sea. Things are going to be difficult. And in the midst of that, he is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. And then includes this prayer. Gracious God, we wake up this morning to a world where everything has shifted. We're in shock, disbelief, grief. We're anxious about our future. We're not sure of the road ahead. You are the great comforter. You catch every tear we cry. May we sink into your loving arms. In you, we find security, <clears throat> strength, and sustenance. You will make a way for us even when we are unsure of what to do. You have raised up Christ so that all that is dead may live again. We trust in your resurrection promises, even when all we have known has been lost. We give thanks to first responders, to neighbors near and far for the body of Christ that will hold us and care for us. And we pray for the future and the hope that you always extend to us. I mean, that is this idea of evaluating and in light of who God is, turning to him. It, and it's, it's not to minimize it, these hard things. So it's not, hey, everything is going to be fine. It's fine. You got Jesus. It's all okay. No, there's a mourning and a weeping and a pain. There's a recognition that now in the midst of COVID that we have uh, mental uh, struggles, that we're, we're, we're struggling with depression more, that suicides are rising, that, that our kids are impacted incredibly negatively by not being able to go to school, that people are, are mourning the loss of loved ones to COVID. It, 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 there are all kinds of ways in which we, we legitimately mourn and weep and lament the brokenness and the hard things that come. But there is a, a help in knowing that they do come. And yet, even in light of that, there's the promise of life. There's the promise of life. Even in these passages, talking about these things that are to come, the, the first that we see is in verse 9. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. 
Do not be terrified. There's a reason to not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but then the, the end will not come immediately. But these things take place in order to get to the end. And there's this assumption, this known reality of what Jesus has already taught and is going to teach, that in the end, he is going to come and he is going to fix what is broken. That Jesus returns and he makes all things right. That we have the promise of Revelation 21, that the new heavens will come to earth and there will be no more crying or pain or death anymore. That all this destruction will be undone. That God will make all things right. That is the end that is, a, that is promised. So we make assumptions about the beauty of, of what is to be experienced in this life. One of the assumptions that we should be making is God is continually working in light of these promises. And these promises are such hope There's such great hope that he wants us to share it with others. Again, some some clear understandings that they would have had that this hope is worth having in the midst of all these hard things. So that when he says that the persecution is going to come, he he says, this is going to happen. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So he's giving them this statement of hope in the midst of it. And what is that hope? That they would be able to talk about Jesus and share that hope with other people. What's he saying? He's saying that the pain that you're experiencing now is really not to be compared to the, the life that is offered in the future. The life that comes through Jesus. He's trying to put things in perspective. That 1 Corinthians tells us that this light and momentary affliction, and he's talking about really difficult things, uh, is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. That's the promise that he is referring to here. And that these difficult things, the loss of these promises of the temple and Jerusalem, they actually lead to something greater. In verse 24, we find that the... Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, there's a negative role that the Gentiles play here, but then there's a promise of hope. The time of the Gentiles is this thing that we we see Jesus referring to here. We see it in Romans 11, that Jesus is working this expanse of his promises and hope, not only to Israel, but to all. So that we, if we're a follower of Jesus here in this room, Uh, that we are invited in even though we're not ethnically Jewish. That this is a promise to the whole world that Jesus is opening it up. It no longer is centered on the temple. It's centered upon Jesus and his Holy Spirit uh, who comes when Jesus leaves. That that becomes the center. And that we can all, all the nations can partake. The time of the Gentiles is this promise for you and for me. Israel is now the church. And the promises of God are to us. And then lastly, we see in verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. He's just said that some will be put to death. And then he goes on to say, but not a hair of your head will perish. That's this phrase that we find in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. It's this, this sovereign protection of God. And, and because he is one who has conquered death itself, who we know now has risen from the dead, who has power over the worst enemy possible over death, that he can give this promise of life. And he can say, not a a hair of your head will perish, even though some of you are going to die. This is this incredible hope that he's given. He's putting things into perspective. There's something better than a life free from struggle or hard things. And that's a life 
with Jesus. That's a life with the promises that he has for the end. And so there's a decision to make. What, what are, in, in difficult times, where are we going to turn to for salvation or hope? And we, we have to make that calculation. The reality is, even if we say, you know what, I don't want to follow Jesus with these promises of tumult and wars and persecution and, and all these things. <clears throat> Some of these things happen no matter what, right? I mean, we're going to experience those difficult things. And, and the question becomes... Either how do we deal with them? How do we find hope in them? How do we? And there, there are ways that people use to cope, certainly. But what Jesus is saying is he has the ultimate hope, the only hope that will not be put to shame and death. And there's an invitation to come and to experience that hope. May we experience that hope in the midst of all the unexpected and all the difficulty that we might be experiencing now or will experience in the future. May we find that hope in Jesus in the life that he offers. Let's pray.